They said it was forbidden. They said it was dangerous. They were right. Introducing the paranoid American homunculus owner's manual. Dive into the arcane, into the hidden corners of the occult. This isn't just a comic. It's a hidden tome of supernatural power. All original artwork illustrating the groundbreaking research of Juan Ayala, one of the only living homunculologists of our time. Learn how to summon your own homunculus, an enigma wrapped in the fabric of reality itself, their power at your fingertips, their existence, your secret. Explore the mysteries of the Aristotelian, the spiritual, the Paracelsian, the Crowleyan homunculus, ancient knowledge lost to time, now unearthed in this forbidden tale. This comic book holds truths not meant for the light of day, knowledge that was buried, feared, and shunned. Are you ready to uncover the hidden, the paranoid American homunculus owner's manual, not for the faint of heart, available now from Paranoid American. Get your copy at tjojp.com or paranoidamerican.com today. They're all cross-pollinating. Religions cross-pollinate, and, and that's what we've got to look for. So, so what I'm telling your viewers is one man's myth is another man's religion. And when he becomes, when Enoch becomes Metatron, there's even more problems because God says, he's now an archangel, you're, you're under him, you better show him some respect. And they went, hell no. And there's, there's resistance. That resistance is transmitted here to this plane. And we are kept confused and we are kept in chains. And remember what the, the Gnostics, the whole thing was, Yaldabaoth kept the whole thing shook up so that we worshiped the wrong God did the wrong things, we're fighting against this imperfect world, and we kept our minds off of the Plumora. That's what's still going on. And that's, again, that's why I say you have to just shut up and sit down and get through all of this noise that's constantly bombarding us because it's a trick, it's a trick. wasn't the watchers that we fight against as evil demons. According to the text, it was the hybrids that came from them, because the book says that when they died, these, these Nephilim, these fallen ones, when they died, when they were killed, the body died, but the spirit came out enraged, and it is they that plague mankind to this day, according to these old scriptures. Welcome to the One on One Podcast with your host, Juan Ayala. Joseph 
Lumpkin. How you doing, Joseph? I'm good. I'm, I'm good. And I'm, I'm OG. Definitely old. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah you, the, the last we spoke was in 2020. I don't remember when. I think it was probably like April 2020. And it always seems that when I first try to set that one up, I think we had some things happen. And then I've tried to set it up again after that. We had some hiccups. But here we are today and the Archons try to stop us today. But unfortunately, they did not succeed. So here we are. Joseph, can you plug your stuff for the listeners where they can find your work and then tell us a little bit about you because you have an interesting background and it's been a long it's been a minute since we last talked and i've learned a lot more since i last talked to you sure sure um several years ago i was working for the uh, missile defense uh, national missile defense and uh let, let's let's start out with uh, a, a little hit here I've got a I've got a feeling that if your uh, audience uh, were to uh, to search on this, they should do it fairly quickly uh, because they are taking all of this down. Now we we have been told that we don't have a uh, hypersonic missile, but that was the project I worked on before uh, starting to write. The hypersonic missile technology project was run by the National Missile Defense. And if you want to see the project that I was personally uh, on, type in Mach, M-A-C-H, space number five, Mach 5, comma, Colsa, C-O-L-S-A, comma, H-M-T, hypersonic missile technology. And if you'll do that, you'll, you'll, get, some, uh, you'll get some results. Do it on Google. I don't know uh, what Bing will do, but the first uh, the, the first result will be the one that you want to look at. I sit under Dr. John Medeiros, who was a, uh, a doctor of physics. So that's the very first thing I want to get off my chest is, guys, they are lying to you. We have had a uh, hypersonic missile technology project since the early 2000s. Um, we, we cut it. Obama came in, and three months after Obama hit the White House, he shut down uh, several of these projects, and this was one of them. So uh, we've had it for quite some time. We had it long before the Chinese, and uh, and it got shut down by our own government. So there you go. So that's my background. Is uh, is I was an analyst for the government for many years, and uh, but that was not where my degree was. My degree was in religion. And uh, so when uh, I came home and said to my lovely wife. In two weeks, we will not have a job. I had written, uh, I, I was working on my uh, doctorate, and um, I'd run across this one, uh, this, this one quote from Jude. I was working on a thesis, and uh, you know, it said, he will come back with 10,000 of his saints to exact vengeance, and so on and so forth. And the footnote said, C1EN. And I thought, what is 1EN? I've never heard of it. So I did my research, and I came up with a copy of the first book of Enoch. And I came home, and I said, uh, this is written in very stilted, false, King James-like English. Uh, the, the author has uh, tried to give it gravitas by uh, just convoluting the sentences. I'm going to retranslate this book. And one, it went to number one. So and it's still it's still there. The books of Enoch have been number one since 2011, 
and uh, your your guys. <laughs> there you go. It's it's contained in that volume. Yeah. Let's see if I've got one over here. This this is the actual volume that sits at number one. Yeah, the books. Yeah. Oop. Yeah, I guess I should go in and mirror my. Uh, let's see if I can do this real quick. It looks good on my end, Joseph. Oh, does it? It's yeah. reversed on mine. Yeah, it looks good. I can read it. Okay. All yeah. right. Well, anyway, uh, they can, uh, if you type in apocryphalbooks.org or fifthestatepub.com, it will lead you to our catalogs. And there's there's probably three dozen books now. We usually have two of them running at number one. Uh, the, the lost books of the Bible are usually number one, and uh, the books of Enoch are usually number one. How do you even go about doing something like this, Joseph? Or how do you even, what, did, what languages did you have to learn? Did you have to figure out any ciphers? Did you have to do anything in particular to translate this work? What was that like? That was... Uh, bone crushing um what we did was we we took every major work and uh and then we got a hold of what we could on the uh on the the original which is written in Gize. Gize is uh, uh ancient ethiopic and uh, most of the time the, all the authors agreed but it just simply wasn't in modern english and uh, so, but there were times that the authors did not agree, uh, and uh, several times. So you go back to the original text and you make a decision. You you look at it in context. You learn as much as you can about what was going on at the time, and uh, and you you make a, a judgment call, and uh, and you try to look at it. In my case, uh, knowing that. Uh, Jude had quoted it, Peter had quoted it, Jesus had referenced it, and they believed that this text was actually authentic. So, uh, so you know, that's how we did it. It, uh, it was a multi-stage process. Very interesting. And today you wanted to talk to us about the evolution of religion and then we're going to get maybe into some fallen angel talk. And absolutely. Yeah. Last you were on, you were my most popular episode up until probably a couple months ago when I had one of my co-hosts go on, on one of the, probably the biggest conspiracy podcasts. And then his episodes on my show blew up and they knocked your show down, but it's still one of the most popular episodes because it, it just seems that the, this fallen angel, Nephilim, Elohim, the watchers topic really in the occult community just strikes a nerve. And it's always, I've always called these topics magnetic topics, right? The occult and all these esoteric things where no matter how many times I talk about it, it will always, it will never not be interesting to me because I've been digging into various uh, pieces of literature. You have, I've come across different iterations of the watchers. I've come across the listeners I've come across the knowers. I've come across different variations of maybe the same thing. And so can you talk to us about the evolution of religion in general? And we can just segue that into everything else. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. First, we, we have to decide what religion is for. Um, 
you know, it, it has changed substantially from the very beginning, but we're talking about, uh, uh, you know, Stone Age, uh, uh, Bronze Age, things like that. And, and what we look at is uh, religion turns out to be a, a, a medium of control. Uh, you, you have a, <clears throat> an unknown force. You're trying to figure out, um, uh, how, you're trying to explain why things exist and how they, how they exist and how they work. But you're also trying to control the chaos. So uh, based on that, you're, you're, you've got this uh, deity. And, uh, you know, usually it uh, starts out with something that's natural. It's right there in front of you, the sun, the moon, things like that. And uh, you, you set about to try to appease or actually um, uh, gain favor. And, and that really is, is what... Uh, what religion is all about. It's control, control of your environment, uh, <clears throat> understanding it, trying to uh, get a foot up, uh, trying to find the control master, you know, the puppet master and, um, and, and try to appease him or her. So I want to start out with that. And, and I want to, uh, start out with, with L himself and Ashtara, his wife. So uh, what we find out is um, just a few years ago, we finally got around to running DNA on uh, the Israelites, the, the ancient uh, Israelites. And we find out that they're actually uh, Canaanites. So that's the very first thing is that, uh, you know, it's a lot of controversy, but, you know, uh, if you're going to believe the science, you've got to leave that controversy behind and go, yeah, yeah, they were basically Canaanite hillbillies. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and they had this uh, uh, this deity that was uh, a, a, a wise uh, deity called El. Uh, Astra was his wife, and Yahweh did not exist. Really, out of, out of all of the uh, pantheon, Yahweh did not occur in the very beginning. So that's the first thing: is that we we've got this evolution. Hardly ever does a religion pop up out of nowhere and uh and and rely on nothing around it now you've got modern uh ways that, that happen like dianetics where l ron hubbard said i'm going to make a religion and make a lot of money and he writes a book and it pops out of nowhere and people buy off on it well i'm not even going to go there well so there's a trade route and the midianites uh and and the edomites brought Yah, Yahweh into uh in, in into the Israelite pantheon. Uh and that was the first basic uh evolution. And then uh you, you have this uh uh Psalm eighty two problem where El is dividing up uh the land according to the people and he gives Israel Yahweh or he gives Israel to Yahweh. And so Yahweh becomes the city-state God of Israel. And, uh, and so you, you have this, this constant evolution going on. So um, Baal, which is also related to Hadad, um, is a storm god, the fertility god. And Anat was the war god. And Yom was the sea and destruction god. And Mot was the god of death and so on and so forth. And uh, Yah... Yahweh turns out to be also 
uh, a kind of war god, and he and Baal actually become kind of twisted together for a short period of time. The Israelites actually worship both of them as one god for a short period of time. But there's a problem when you do that because the priest of one are making their living and the priests of the other making their living off of separate gods. The whole thing is about control, money, the whole thing. You know, it's, it's, it's always been that way. So you, you, you have uh, this, this tearing apart. And uh, that's where we get the word Beelzebub. It's, it's actually a, a kind of a run-together god of, or lord of flies because all ball need, uh, means it's just lord. So you have the lord of the flies. And, and that's, that's a, a, a slap in the face because uh, what they're saying is uh, your god draws flies because he's shit. Mm-hmm. So uh, you, you have this. Uh, and this that's in the book, The Lord of the Flies, too, right? where, where he's the, represented by the, the pig, the swine. You know, Jesus cast the demons inside the, 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 there you go. the, the pigs. So you have that almost, again, I relate it to Baphomet, right? But Baphomet is a little bit different where he's a, a donkey-faced uh, kind of. But, but you know. they're all cross-pollinating, mm-hmm. you know? Religions cross-pollinate, and, and that's what we've got to, to, to look for. So, so what I'm telling your viewers is one man's myth is another man's religion. <laughs> I'm going to quote that. You don't send me write that timestamp down. <laughs> yeah, yeah. One man's myth is another man's religion, and it's always been that way. Uh, you look at what's going on uh, in, in Rome and Greece at this particular time, and they have their pantheon. Well, the Canaanites had an earlier pantheon. They're worshiping their pantheon. He's worshiping his pantheon. Our pantheon, consisting of, uh, at that particular point, a male and female god and family, um, all of a sudden things begin to change, and somehow the female gets left behind. The sacred feminine gets exorcised. And now we have an imbalance, and that imbalance carries through, and uh, and it appears again in in the uh, embodiment of uh, Ruach, where the Bible says that the Spirit of God uh, hovered over the water, over the the word's actually brood, it, it, she she's brooding like a hen, and it's she's bringing all of this into uh, existence. And it's a female uh, a part of God, if you will. It's a female deity. It's, it's Ruach. That's the last time we actually see a balance in the pantheon. Now, in the very, very early parts of the Bible, you'll see the word El. And then later, very you know, not, not a lot later, but some later, you'll see a Yahweh. And when you see El, it's God. When you see Yahweh, it's Lord. And then very quickly you see the Lord God, and all of a sudden they've combined. And now you have Yahweh and El being treated like one God, one deity, and now we're, we're moving on. Okay, so, uh, so things are evolving through time, and now we have uh, 
we have Yeshua, we have Jesus. Okay. So something happened around 800 BC that no one can really explain. And it's a leap, almost like we have evolved spiritually in just a snap of a, a finger. We went from a totally um, exterior religious path. The whole world was killing things and letting blood and sacrificing people in order to please some unknown deity. And there was uh, uh, civilizations were being wiped out because they were making so many human sacrifices. We, we are letting blood all over the place because we are externally trying to uh, uh, manipulate God. Let that kind of sink in because that's what religion is all about, manipulating God in an exterior religious path. In a magical way, Joseph? Or how, how would you say that trying to manipulate God? And then uh, how, what do you mean by that? Exactly? Well, we, uh, it's magical thinking, Juan, but it's not, uh, uh, it's not an interior path. We, we take out a, a sheep or a lamb and we slaughter it. We drain all the blood out of it. And, and what is this for? Uh, to supposedly cover some sin that we have. Mm -hmm. But we have made these books up. We have created this, this problem for ourselves. Um, we are doing it because we don't know what God wants. We, we think we do because someone's told us. So we go out and, and we, we kill and we maim and we destroy it in God's name. And, uh, and then we hope that, uh, that you know, uh, our um, inflicting pain on other beings sentient or not, is going to bring some change. Okay, now, we're at 800 B.C., and all of a sudden something happens, and we go through as a, uh, uh, as a species some odd change. And within just a few hundred years, Lao Tzu is born, Buddha is born, uh, Zoroaster, uh, uh, Confucius, Jesus, all within about 800 years of span, and all of a sudden, everything in religion turns from external to internal. Now, we sit on a precipice right now where almost every war in the world is based on if the religion that you follow is internal or external. If you look at the wars that are going on throughout the world, what you see is the people uh, beginning these wars, the terrorists or whatever, are usually serving some external religion, some religion that still wants to do sacrifice, that still says uh, you should kill your fellow man, so on and so forth. When we hit the second axial age, which I believe is coming up fairly soon, the entire world is going to shift because we will have enough common sense to lay what we now call religion down and walk away from it. Let me give you uh, some examples of what I'm talking about, about us making stuff up. Everyone in Christianity hangs their hat on Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. 
But nowhere in Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John does it say that Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John wrote Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John. <laughs> the names are never mentioned. They are never mentioned once. The, uh, the authors are, are, are uh, anonymous. Mm -hmm. uh, now, we used to have these books that we called, or this, this volume that we called the Memoirs of the Apostles. And, and that is the book that um, uh, that uh, was uh, it came before the Gospels. The memoir of the Apostles. Yes, you can you can look it up and actually uh, you can see references to it. Uh, if if you look at Matthew, Mark, Luke, but not John, because John takes another narrative, you will see that they all are constructed uh, off of the same. Uh, a memoir. Uh, this came to be called the Q document. Q is quell, which in German means uh, the beginning or the, the source. So uh, we believe that uh, Matthew, Mark, and Luke came from the same source document. That source document was uh, a kind of a combination. You, you had uh, a gospel that had the, uh, or a document that had the sayings in it commonly called the sayings gospel. Uh, you had the passion gospel, which is uh, a document that uh, told, told this narrative, the story. Uh, the book of Thomas was a type of Q document. It only had sayings in it, 114 sayings of Jesus. But if you, if you read uh, Thomas, which I believe probably predates Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, what you see is a different Jesus. Uh, you, you see a Jesus that um, is almost um, Buddha-like, which brings us to a book called The Lost Years of Jesus or The Life of St. Isa, uh, which tells of Jesus in Tibet because we, he disappears for a while. He disappears for a dozen years. And, uh, and what we see is that he pops up in in this uh, Nicholas uh, Natovich uh, book called um, um, The Life of St. Isa. And what he brings back to Judaism is this flavor of, you know, guys, you've got it wrong. We need to lay down this law stuff and, and try, try not to uh, live by the law, but live by the heart. We need to live internally. You don't have to keep your... 653 rules what you need to do is love your neighbor love god love and and do what you will and uh of course they killed him for that because there's no money to be made for that there's no control to be made for that you know when christianity split and we went into gnosticism for uh oh, you know we, we kind of branched off in the very beginning the reason that Gnosticism took such a uh, foothold for a while is because it answered a question as to what, um, why bad things happen to good people and what the heck's going on here if God is so uh, omniscient and, and uh, all-powerful and all-loving, why is everyone dying? Why is there bad stuff happening? And, of course, the, the Gnostics said, well, it's because the real God didn't make this place. It was made by Yaldabaoth, who was a, uh, uh, 
a demiurge. Uh, insane. Yeah. The, the demiurge. Quite an insane God. So an insane deity made this planet and everything on it and then answered their question. It's a question that, that normal Christianity has been able to answer, you know. Uh, but part of this is because there was an evolution in Satan also during this time. Uh, Satan uh, was at one time simply an emissary of God. He was just an angel out doing God's bidding. Uh, somehow, through the uh, cross-pollination of Zoroastrianism, which sees the world as bifurcated between good and evil deities, Satan was raised to uh, almost a, a godlike state where it's now God and Satan fighting for the world. Uh, but when when uh, the Old Testament was uh, was being written in the days of Job, God was responsible for everything, good, bad, or indifferent. It was all up to God. So, um, And the serpent wasn't attributed to Satan until hundreds of years that's later. Right. No? That's right. The serpent was a sign of wisdom. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and, you know, just in, in, Gnosticism, uh, it is it is the knowledge of the whole thing that will set you free. So it's an interesting thing. It's I just wanted to kind of poke around and and give your uh, uh, listeners, um, your viewers, some idea that uh, that we're we're still we're still changing things. This is not done yet. Uh, we we have uh, the Latter Day Saints. Uh, you know, Christianity has always been uh, a kind of a, a, a battleground. Um, Martin Luther did not like the book of uh, James, for example. He called it a pissy little book, a straw gospel. Uh, I wish I could burn Jimmy in the fire, he said. Um, he, uh, he thought it, was, it should not be there. So if he'd have had his way, would have thrown James out. Um, yeah, so we think that all of these things are set in stone, but they're not. Christianity is not Christianity world round. We have 66 books in our Bible, but the Ethiopic Bible has 81 in it. If you were to put all of the books of Christendom worldwide into a single volume, about 93 books. So the idea that one uh, denomination has a lock on the truth is ridiculous. Mm -hmm. Furthermore, it may actually be that nobody has a lock on any truth because the whole thing has been uh, started with a Canaanite hillbilly and, uh, and gone down from Canaanite to uh, Midianite and Ammonite and, or Edomite and everything building up toward El and, and the, uh, the Pantheon. And the whole thing is a figment of our imagination that we are entrapped in. Everyone is going to church thinking, if I do this or do that, the world is going to be a better place. And it never gets to be a better place. If things worked the way that we thought they worked, there would be one person with enough faith to change this whole thing. But there's not. There's not. To, to go back a little bit, Joseph, because you mentioned about the the missing years of Jesus's life right where mm -hmm. where did he go did he go around to these ancient mystery schools was he studying 
in India? Was he studying all these different all these different places? And one of the most intriguing and one of my favorite figures in history that really paved the way for Christianity and Gnosticism and Christianity was Pythagoras, right? And on one of your interviews, I remember you saying, you need to just shut up, right? When you're praying, everybody just goes about their day. And it's, it's by design, this, this system that we're in at the moment where it's, it's a very hustle and bustle, go, 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 go. Let me put this prayer in real quick, which Prayer is a, a form of magic, whether people want to believe it or not. I mean, it, it, it's a form of meditation. It's a form of, of you know, looking within, right? And the whole thing with the Pythagoreans was, you know, Pythagoras was supposedly the, the only one that was able to hear the music of the spheres, right? Because he was able to calm his mind to a certain point where he was able to hear the music of the spheres. And what was the initiation for the Pythagoreans before they could even peek behind the veil to, to see Pythagoras face to face? They had to take a vow of silence for five years. And I believe the class was called the acoustic eye, I believe is what they called them. But they couldn't speak for five full years. And they had to give up all their possessions. They had to follow a strict diet. They had to do all these things. And if you were to break any of that, of that of those vowels you would be dead to the group you would be they would have a funeral for you and everything you would be completely dead they would never talk to you again they would return your possessions doubled i believe doubled or tripled right because you would give up all your money and everything and they would allegedly double and triple it and give it back but the this paved the way for platonism neoplatonism and and also, you know, Gnosticism, which has a heavy uh, Platonic thought to it because Plato was the one that presented the idea of the Demiurge. So, but it started with what? With looking within how you're saying, where you have this age of where it came to look within, to meditate within, but then it changed. I, I've, I've always said, where did we get lost in translation? Because it went from this thing to where it turned into a business to and into an enterprise. <laughs> this is a house of prayer and you've turned it into a den of thieves. And yeah. it's crazy to me, Joseph, that wars have been fought over which type of bread they were going to use in the Eucharist. There have, have been hundreds of schisms within the church history, <laughs> if it really starts to look into it where they were fighting over the little bread of which type of bread mm-hmm. they're going to use for the Eucharist. I mean, that that's an actual thing. And, yes, 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 and we let yes. this, Joseph, so we let this rule. We have, you know, Lucifer, which is a um, an amalgamation and a, 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 an interpretation of Western thought because the original Luciferians were, you know, following St. Lucifer and he was, you know, an opposing party to the guy that was in power. So then they, you know, they wanted to demonize him. So those were the... OG Luciferians and they've turned it into something because they needed an adversary, right? Satan means adversary. You have the serpent in the garden of Eden, which wasn't attributed to Satan until thousands of years later. So what do you feel? So we're talking about the purpose of religion. So we're talking about it's for money, for control, do you feel it, it will always be this way where people are going to let themselves be ruled I, by I these ideologies? Yeah, I, I don't want, um, I thoroughly believe that we are uh, heading toward 
a second axial age. I really do. Let me let me first say I am in no way an atheist. Um, I am not arguing at all that there is not uh, a creator energy or power. What I am arguing about is uh, our interpretation of it is History. selfish and limited. So uh, my theology is a uh, personal theology. It's called an apothetic theology. Uh, or another word for it is negative theology. In other words, if you can, if you can see it, if you can experience it, if you can taste it, smell it, think about it, if you can imagine it, it is not God. It is a creation or a creature, but it is not the, the creator. The creator is above everything that can be experienced. Because if we can experience it, it's an emanation. It is a vibration. It is not the source. It's like saying, I see the light. No, you see a, a wave from the source. But, um, and, and so this gets us back into just shut up, you know, just be quiet and, and, um, you know, be still and know that I am God. That's probably one of the deepest things that is written in the scriptures. Uh, and it's not that there's not uh, truth in the scriptures. It's, it's just that the truth is tainted, twisted, and, uh, uh, and, and biased. So um, the apathetic theology was, um, was basically an Eastern type of, of Christian theology. Uh, we, we've lost our mystics. We've lost our Christian mystics. And when we had those, we, we had kind of a path to, uh, to the true source. We, we could see, you know, people, uh, ascending beyond what we would call religion into spirituality. So I think that's what the second axial age is going to be leaving religion behind and attaining spirituality. And, and when you're speaking about, the Christian mystics and, and, and you know, we, uh, we can touch on the esoteric Christianity. Are you talking about like groups like the Rosicrucians? Like, uh, some people, do you believe the Rosicrucians were actually did exist at all? Yeah, I believe they existed. I, I don't know if they were actually what I would con consider Christian mystics. I, I believe, see, we, we also had, um, we also had Christian magic. There are books about the ancient Christian magic. There are spells, incantations, and things like this that actually the older Christians used to use. The Gnostics had a oh. bunch of, I don't know, I'm not sure if they had grimoires, but I know that they had incantations and mm -hmm. the the book of E.A.O.U., that, that's, a, that's a very weird one where it's like all these, these vow, these, I think it was like mystic vowels where depending on the name of the of the anyways they had like again it's magic so they had all these weird mm -hmm. type of incantations absolutely that's what i love about the gnostics where i mean and when you say gnostics there's more than 50 sects of gnostics you know in the ancient times middle middle ages there's a lot more there's hundreds of of nominations of gnosticism but do you they they were the more magical and, and is that where you're trying to get at they were more in touch with the 
magical aspect of Christianity? Uh, um, the Gnostics that I'm referring to would be St. John of the Cross, St. Uh, Teresa of Assisi, uh, those that, uh, that are what I would consider to be just pure uh, meditative, uh, you know, straight to the source kind of people. Um, so, see, what I'm getting at here, and it, it, it may, you know, fly in the face of some of your viewers, is that all of these things are tools that we should be able to lay down. I mean, uh, numerology, tarot, uh, uh, magic, uh, the things that the Rosicrucians did, all of these are gateways and tools that need to be left behind, uh, not because they're particularly bad, just because they are tools to reach a portal, to step through a portal. And what we should be doing is concentrating on getting into and through the portal without the necessity of a crutch. Everything is in us. Everything is completely in us. We have everything, every drop of divinity that we need to step through the door behind the veil. Um, and we, we rely on these things because we uh, are not strong enough or focused enough to do it on our own. The, the true mystics were trying to do it on their own. That's very interesting, uh, Joseph, how, how you're saying that. Now, where do you draw the line? Because you can get into the realm, okay, we have the divine spark within us, right? We're created in the image of God. There's that verse, right? They have become like one of us. Where do you draw the line between being a God or using this, uh, I don't know what you would call it, either esoteric or occult power, I guess, within yourself. Where do you draw the line there? Because... You know, we're talking about, I mean, I would consider myself an emanationist where there is a source. And from that source, he emanates reality. He, she, whatever, androgynous, emanates mm -hmm. reality outwards. And you're absolutely right. Where if you're seeing it, it's only an emanation of the source of the one. You know, the source is an infinite. There's no way you could even mention his name. So where do you draw the line of, because you have that doctrine as well, there's, certain religions that say, hey, you are the God. You are the creator. You are the manifester of your own reality. Where, mm -hmm. where does that stand in this realm? Well, you know, um, it's a great question. Prayer, as you put it, is magic. Prayer is an intention. The intent is the strength of, of what is being brought into uh, existence. But those are traps along the way. Um, they don't really matter. It, it's there, you know, you can use them on this realm to make life better for you. There is no doubt of that, but you can get trapped in a situation where that's what you want to do. You want to stay here and you want to game the system, so to speak. So where I draw the line is that there really isn't a line you can stay here and, and be kept at that level by your own, you know, your, your own devices, or you can, well, as my teacher used to say, uh, 
the path is not the church or the temple. Uh, the steps is not the temple, and the door is not the temple, and you don't stop until you get into the temple. None of these parlor tricks are the temple. They are, they are traps along the way. Um, reference uh, uh, the cloud of unknowing and uh, the works of St. John of the Cross. And you'll see that they actually cover this in a Christian way. They say, look, you, you, you will see things, you will feel things, you will experience things. Things will move, you know, uh, by your will. But that's not the intention that, uh, that you want to, to, to stop at. Uh, don't stop until you reach God. And when you reach him, you become nothing. Or everything. <laughs> yeah, we're getting into some heavy stuff because that's that's again I was I was raised Pentecostal Christian, right? So I'm used to this type of heretical talk. Like, no no no, you know what I mean? Like they they again these different denominations, how you said if if they claim to have it all. That's what I've always preached since the beginning. If these one people brag about having all the answers to everything they're probably full of shit because i don't think anybody yeah. really understands what's truly going on and you're talking yeah, about I... how so we're moving towards this new axial age and i've said this before we're in the year 2022 another thousand years from now will religion still be what it is are there going to be new discoveries that will change the way we look at religion and you mentioned hope so. you you mentioned the you know El Yahweh Jehovah. What's the other one? Uh, yeah, you know you have Yahweh the both on there, but he's he's an archon. You have this evolution of the same name. Now, do you feel it was the same entities that that we were dealing with, or multiple entities that? had their own just you know distinct names or was it the same entity and it was throughout the ages took on different names i i think the last is probably the the case simply because we cross-pollinate and and i know that that's a different kind of term for a, a theologian to use but look at it like this um in in one of the books regarding uh uh the uh the fallen angel one of the captains of the 200 uh, is uh, Gilgamesh. Now, where the hell did he come from? You know, so it's a it's a cross pollination from a Sumerian uh, king into uh, uh, another myth. Myths cross pollinate, and uh, and and so they they evolve and they transmit, and it's like a game of telephone where they will uh, change and and. Uh, and you have the same kind of patterns repeating over and over again. Um, but, you know, the thing that I really want to focus on here, not to get too far off, we can come back to it, is simply that we've entrapped ourselves. We, are, we have gotten into this tiny little box of thinking that we know what God wants and what he is and what we have to do. Uh, and, and we have really messed ourselves up. Um, Take uh, take polyandry and, and uh, polygamy, for example. 
there is absolutely nothing in the scriptures against polygamy. As a matter of fact, uh, Martin Luther actually performed a polygamous ceremony for a friend because he said, I find nothing in the scriptures that contradict this. Um, where is it against the law that we uh, love more than one person? It's a social construct, not even a religious construct, but these things run into each other and they melt. Uh, and, and then we, we make things up that we don't even realize that, you know, uh, where you and I come from out of this uh, Pentecostal environment, there was a lot of people that said, I believe only in the King James Bible. The 1611 Bible is the only thing out there that's really, and I said, you don't have a 1611 Bible. You probably couldn't even read it. You have a 1700 Bible where it was revised. Uh, I have a 1611 King James. It's written in um, Middle English, not, not Elizabethan, Middle English. Uh, the letters are different. Uh, the spelling is different. The wording is slightly different. But the language had changed enough that they had to rewrite it in the early 1700s, and that's what we're using. So we don't even have what we think we've got that we depend on that we so tout. We're freaking stupid is what we are. And we have lost the point. But I think that was the point of this whole thing was to make us lose the point. King James, a very interesting character in history. And yes, he is. I believe that version that you have, is that the one with the Shakespearean codes in it, allegedly? <laughs> Where it's got the, the different ciphers and obviously William Shakespeare. Yeah, let me see if I can find it. You keep talking and I'll see if I can find it. William Shakespeare or Francis Bacon, depending on which you'd like to believe in. But King James, he was a very interesting. Speaking of polygamy, the reason that he broke away from the crown was because he wanted to annul his divorce. And he yeah, couldn't yeah. do it. So, hey, let me start my own kingdom oh that's how the anglican church started yeah, yeah. it's uh, interesting <laughs> but he I, I you know joseph i've always said that yeah there you go absolutely that's awesome yeah that's uh 1611 edition of the king james which is prior to the one that we actually think we have <laughs> i think that religion it's it serves its purpose now when you mix when you mix state and religion, that's when you, when you have an issue because I, I believe that religion serves its purpose as far as guiding certain people in life because it gives them some sort of structure and and meaning, right? Because that was the whole thing with Nietzsche, you know, for God is dead and we killed him, right? That's the that's the entire quote. He's like, oh, God is dead. He's an atheist. No, no, no. He wanted to prevent nihilism, which when you you know have nihilism, you fall into into this into this pit of nothingness and and don't have purpose and that's what i feel religion does gives people some sort of purpose now there will always be politics involved within that and that's the unfortunate part because it turns into a brokered experience you can only achieve divinity through us you have to pay your mm -hmm. tithings mm -hmm. every week make sure you're a good little boy and we might save you a seat up wherever it is that you know we believe that that you're gonna go and that's that. And that's where I feel it went bad, you know? Yeah. So let's cover that really quickly because you've, you've hit on something that's just, you know, it's kind of a sore spot and a, and a, and a, kind of a, a platform for me. 
I'm old enough to have lived through uh, Vatican II and see Vatican I go by the wayside. So at that particular point, we 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 start down this path where um, babies, for example. Well, let's let's go back even further. Uh, at one time, we had to eat if you're Catholic, eat uh, fish on Friday, and if you didn't eat fish on Friday, uh, you're going to hell. It was a sin. Now the reason this started, uh, according to one theory is that in the boot of Italy, they had uh, a bit of a problem. It's a financial problem. And uh, the, the people were, uh, were poor. They were having a lot of trouble getting along, and they weren't paying their tithes. So why not increase the uh, production of what they're selling, which is fish? So people start uh, eating fish on Friday. Export of fish goes up. Money starts falling in. Church gets more money. Okay. Interesting. Then you have uh, an issue where they go, well, okay, you don't have to eat fish on Friday anymore. That's really not not a problem. You can eat whatever you want now on Friday. And everybody went, well, what about all the people that went to hell for eating fish on Friday? And the church said, well, they were just disobedient to the church, so they're going to hell for that. Then we had a problem where we decided that anything, this course, of course, predates this, uh, yeah. Anybody that wasn't baptized in the Catholic Church was going to hell because that church believes in the remission or the washing away of sins through baptism, but only if you're a priest. So the priest baptizes you, and uh, your original sin uh, dissolves, and you're okay until, of course, you sin again. But what happens to the newborn children? They haven't done anything. They've taken barely a breath. They're innocent. But the church said, well, they're not baptized, so they have to go to hell. So the, the people couldn't stomach that. So the church instituted um, um, what am I trying to say? A doctrine called limbo. Yes. And lim- limbo is a place where the children float happily around uh, never aging and never having any pain, but they're not in heaven. They're in a port of hell. Dante's infernal talk right there. Yeah, yeah. 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 So I don't know if you know, but recently in the last uh, couple of decades, the church has gotten rid of limbo. The last decade, the church admitted that, uh, gee, maybe all these children are really in heaven. And uh, we, we have it on good confidence that, uh, God is merciful, and they actually can be with Him. So they uh, they they disassembled, if you will, limbo, and now there is no more limbo. So when I say that religion evolves and changes, I am being very very literal. Um, men decide what they're going to believe and adhere to those particular uh, rules and regulations. And, um, yes, I totally agree with you that religion does serve a, a purpose of uh, making rules, if you will, or constructs that people live better with. Um, you know, don't kill, uh, don't steal, um, don't go over and 
you know, enjoy your neighbor's wife. It's going to cause problems. Don't be a piece of shit, Joseph. That's at its core. Yeah. Just don't be yeah. a scum of the earth and you'll be all yeah. right. <laughs> yeah. And, and Jesus, of course, re, uh, he, he reduced this to two, two laws. And one of them was just love your neighbor. Don't do anything to him that you wouldn't do. Uh, there was a, a great uh, rabbi um, that was actually preaching to uh, the newer rabbis. He had just graduated. And, uh, and he, he said, uh, uh, don't do anything to anyone that you don't want done to you. Uh, seek God. And the rest is commentary. So, uh, you know, that's, that's pretty much what you should live by. The rest of it can be done away with because it's control mechanisms. Now, Joseph, we're talking about the evolution of religion. It's going to change. In this new axial age, what will be this new religion? If it's not organized religion as we see it today, what do you feel it's going to change to? Is it going to be more focused on, again, the, the self? Or how do you how do you feel it's going to be navigated? If you can even answer that, I mean, do you have an idea? Yeah. One of our major problems in theology and mysticism is that we have no language. There is no, there is no language that is internal because I don't know <clears throat> what I'm experiencing is what you're experiencing. So we give these general terms of you know nirvana or enlightenment or whatever, but we're never sure if we're talking about the same thing because I'm not in your head and you're not in mine. We don't have signposts. Um, but that's okay, because to answer your question, I really believe that uh, this is going to be a very, very um, individual thing. Uh, we're going to come together with uh, a general understanding, um, and we're going to seek peace and quiet and compassion. Uh, and as long as we see those seeds flower, we know that we are on the right track. If a person um, is violent, we're going to simply know that they're not on the right path. If a person is peaceful and, um, and speaks the truth quietly and clearly, uh, then we're going to know that he's on the right path. So I believe that this whole thing is going to be very, very individualistic. We look at what's happening in, right now in, um, in Europe. And in the UK, there's only about 2% of the population that's actually going to church right now. That's kind of astounding. Now, it picks up during the holidays, of course, but generally speaking, somewhere between 2 and 5% get to church. There are all of these amazing uh, cathedrals uh, that are sitting pretty much unused. It is the quiet disassembling of organized religion. Look, it, it's, it's an interesting problem. When Christianity was in uh, Jerusalem, it was a mystical experience. When it came to Greece, it spread there, became a philosophy. By the time it got to America, it was an enterprise. Where the change was is exactly like uh, marketing. When it was in the Middle East, it was a horizontal event, one-on-one -on -one grassroots going out. 
the moment it became in Rome a vertical event where power was being structured up, then everything began to break down because then you had uh, power and wealth that were on the line and religion became all about business and control. If I can scare you, you'll pay me. If I can threaten you, you'll pay me. If I can promise you that you're going to heaven if you do this or that, and you're dumb enough to believe that I have control of it, you'll pay me. And that's what religion has become today. But it is being dismantled, and we are getting back to what it was, which is a horizontal, grassroots, one-on-one individual mysticism. Absolutely. You have the structure of, I mean, Catholicism, you have the Pope who talks to God every day. The guys under him talk to God every other day. Guys <laughs> under him every every Friday, that guy talks. And then you have the peasants at the bottom that, yeah, absolutely. I never really thought about it like that, where it is this hierarchy. And people can see through the bullshit. People can see it's it's a scam. Yeah. And it's unfortunate yeah. because there are things to be learned there are true, there is true enlightenment buried under all the bullshit within yeah, all these absolutely. doctrines and all these things. And, you know, you mentioned Scientology earlier. What's the difference between a cult and a religion? I mean, I know I'm very familiar with L. Ron Hubbard and his workings, but what's the difference between a cult and a religion, Joseph? Because, I mean, it's kind of the same thing. <laughs> it's kind of the same thing. It is. Uh, a cult is um, a religion that has not been uh, mainstreamed yet. On the podcast, Sorry about that. Yeah, that's <laughs> all right. So I, I believe that a, a, a cult is a religion that has not been mainstreamed. Look, we, uh, how old are you, Juan? I'm 28. Okay. Um, I'm 67. I have seen religions be born because that's what I do for a living is I watch this stuff. So uh, in the seventies, there was a divine light through a Maharaji or, or a prim, uh, uh, Rawat, I think prim Rawat. I believe that was the gentleman's name. Uh, he was a, a guru. He, he was, uh, his father died when he was eight years old and he took over divine light. And, and it became a religion of sorts in the West in the 70s. When I was walking around in the 70s, there was no, no less than a dozen perfect masters walking the earth claiming to be the incarnation of the Holy Spirit. Out of the divine light came Paul, I think his last name was Twitchell, and he created Ekankar. Uh, and, and that's a religion based on, or a belief system based on uh, astral projection. Um, I'm watching all this happen, and uh, it, it was very interesting to me. Now, Ekinkar just kind of slept. I mean, it's been around, but nobody really knows about it until just last year, and they started advertising their butts off in, on TV stations around the country. And I'm thinking to myself, well, they must have a different leader. And I looked it up, and sure enough, uh, the torch has passed and Paul's passed away. And so we've got this other gentleman that's uh, leading Ekinkar, and he is just pushing the crap out of it. 
um, they've got enough money that they're going to um, spin this thing back up again. It's, it's interesting to see. Look at uh, uh, LDS. Look at um, the formation of uh, Latter-day Saints. The Book of Mormon was a ripoff of <laughs> a book uh, by a guy by the name of Spalding called uh, The Lost Manuscript. Now, they will, deny, they will deny it with their last breath, but if you look up the history of this, you see that Joseph Smith and his uh, cohorts came into contact with this book that was uh, not to be published, and, uh, and they took the, the book because it had not been published and wasn't in uh, the public venue. Uh, they literally rewrote it. The guy Spalding was a horrible writer, they used to call him Mr. It Came to Pass because every other line began, it came to pass. And if you read the Book of Mormon, you find out it is a horrible book with every single line going, it came to pass. Take a shot every time they say that. <laughs> <laughs> you will be drunk before the second page. Uh, yeah, so, you know, religions come and go and they pop in and out of existence. And uh, sometimes you can actually see how they develop within the guy's mind. It's, it's a very interesting thing. Yeah, I'm familiar with that one, and he only I believe it was like only he could read it or something like that. How convenient. Oh, the, the, yeah, the golden, the golden tablets that kind of came in with without anybody else knowing it. So let's get into the topic of these entities that we encounter now. You have the subject of the Watchers, the Elohim, the Giants. You have the you know you have all, all these different iterations of it. My my favorite iteration of the Watchers is in the Picatrix, where the Watcher is what watches over your body while you're in the astral plane, right? You summon this Watcher, and he watches over your body, so no other entity takes over. Manly P. Hall. Initiate to the flame, the watchers watching the divine alchemist at work. The divine alchemist being deity or God or whoever it, it may be. I really like that one. The their watchers, they're watching him. You have in the in the book of Enoch, right? You have I've had this this idea, Joseph. I'm gonna run it past you because obviously you're familiar with the book of Enoch, the three books. I feel that, you know, we, we're talking about this esoteric practice of getting closer to God and, you know, becoming one with the source, right? The, the Gnostics called it, you know, the, the, the marriage in the bridal chamber, the watery light, the upper eons, whatever that yes, may be. Yes, yes, yes. Mm -hmm. I feel that in the book of Enoch, it shows the perfect, the perfect situation where these entities are showing Enoch all the secrets to the universe, to everything. And when he learns this occult knowledge, he turns into Metatron. Metatron. He turns into this, this controller, this archangel, this controller of reality. And I feel that that's maybe what they're holding us back from as far as you know, this is why we have this corruption, this perversion of history itself. Language, the original alphabet only had 17 letters. 
we have 27 now. It's like, where'd all these other symbols come from? Well, to I think that the world back then, Joseph, was like Harry Potter. I do think it was magical. Look at Welsh mythology. It's very epic. Dragons, yeah. you know, monsters and all this stuff everywhere. And then now it's like, oh, we got the... Bu- we got the breadcrumbs now. It's like, if you can, you know, look at the spoon, look at the spoon, make it bend. It's like, I'm going to try and make it bend, but it's like, you can't. So I feel that's that that's what they're holding us back from, you know, this occult knowledge, the true, the true stuff, the real stuff. You know what I mean, Joseph? Like the, the real shit that turns you into this, uh, a deity. I mean, you know, an archangel, like, like Enoch. Well, first of all, let me, congratulate you for uh remembering yuri geller and the bent spoon that's back in my day too it's funny it's funny um so we have a hint in the second book of enoch where uh enoch is is in heaven and uh and literally the angels say i smell human semen it stinks what are you doing God and why is he here? And it literally says that it's like, are you kidding me? So we have a real problem with the angels, uh, whatever they are, the watchers or the angels, the angelic beings, the higher beings, not wanting uh, to give up their place. They, they are literally fighting God and trying to talk him into throwing this guy out of, out of uh, the higher realm. So um, is there a battle going on? Yeah. You know, you have to back up and say, do you believe this is myth or do you believe this is um, something that is is real that they're trying to convey? And if you believe that it's real and and, uh, certain things are trying to be conveyed within the writing, then, you know, I could go along with that. And so my first answer to you is there's resistance. There's resistance in heaven. There has always been resistance in heaven. Uh, they did not want uh, Enoch there. The reason that uh, that the second book of Enoch was even written was that the Jews were having a lot of trouble with the fact that uh, they believed that um, that flesh could not exist in in the heavenlies, uh, that it was corrupt, and and uh, so. Yeah, so if you believe what's going on in the second book of Enoch, you have this realm of angels that's fighting against the will of God. And uh, and when he becomes, when Enoch becomes Metatron, there's even more problems because God says, he's now an archangel, you're, you're under him, you better show him some respect. And they went, oh, hell no. And there's, uh, there's resistance. That resistance is transmitted here to this plane, and we are kept confused, and we are kept in chains. And uh, remember what the, the Gnostics, the whole thing was, um, uh, Yaldabaoth uh, kept the whole thing shook up so that we worshipped the wrong God, did the wrong things, were fighting against this imperfect world, and we kept our minds off of the Plumora. That's what's still going on. You know, and that's again, that's why I say you have to just shut up and sit down and get through all of this noise that's constantly bombarding us because um, it's a trick. It's a trick. For a lot of people, the Gnostic worldview 
that demeans this existence, this reality. You have the Hermetic Principle, as above, so below. You have the Greek philosophers, Anaximander, Anaxagoras, where they talked about the noose and the, the, this, this realm being a, a reflection of a more divine realm. A lot of people don't like that idea because it takes away from this reality. You know what I mean? It, it makes it to where this place is bad. I don't want to be yeah. here anymore. Yeah. Right. What's the yeah. whole thing with Christians? They're preparing. They're not enjoying this life because they're preparing for the other life. The afterlife. That's a, that's a, the that is a great, a great uh, observation. Absolutely true. Absolutely true. A lot of people don't like that. A lot of people go, you know, I don't like that worldview. And that's where this whole ideology and this doctrine of, you know, I, I, I saw somebody online the other day. They were like, oh, well, I'm a Satanist, but I don't believe in Satan. I'm like, what? And she's like, yeah, you know, we look at ourselves as our own creators. And I was like, okay, cool. That's, that's, that's fine. But I mean, Satanist, I mean, that's not, that's not a good look. You know no. what I mean? <laughs> I, you know, I, I want to step back. You know, I, I've, I've been in martial arts for 52 years and I've run into some really crazy people. You know, I'm, I'm a ninja and I'm this and I'm that. And, you know, not ninjutsu. It's like I'm a ninja. And I step back and I say, okay, great. Well, let me see you disappear. <laughs> I'm waiting. I'm waiting. And I, I said the same thing to these people. Uh, you create your own reality. Well, let me see something. You know, uh, the, even, even the Christians, because as you put out, uh, pointed out, uh, prayer and and this kind of belief this this magical thinking uh it, it 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 is the same so i want to say to them if it works the way that you think then that guy over there is missing a finger grow it that guy over there is blind give him another eye i'm waiting let me see this work just one time but always it is someplace far away that somebody knew about something, blah, blah, two or three times removed. Never have I seen someone's arm grown back, you know. So we are limited here and we got to get through that, that curtain, that, that, that curtain. I do not believe that this life is anything but to be cherished. We are here as a gift. And I feel like we are squandering it. Uh, we don't keep focused enough to let our intentions work out our situation. We are scrambled in our thought process. And one, I believe that we are scrambled within our DNA. Let me give you an example. We talked about this axial age, okay? Now, in 2011, some fellow scientists are sitting there at, and they're DNA experts, they're, they're running genetic codes, and they're complaining to each other that in, by, by the time the, uh, this century is halfway over, we're going to run out of memory. We will not be able to produce enough memory chips or whatever to, to do what we need to do. And someone said, why don't we put it on DNA? And everybody laughed, and then one guy said, wait, I think I can do that. So a year or two later, they encoded a couple of books of Shakespeare, a video, two or three things, and they sent it across the U.S. to be in, in, uh, re, uh, uh, decoded. 
and it worked and it worked. Now, about 90% of our genome is what they call trash DNA. What if when we get wise enough, smart enough or whatever, we can decode that DNA. We look inside and we can decode that DNA and we can either do one or two things. And I'm not sure which one it is. Either the library of the people who made us is going to be revealed or our true potential will be revealed. Either way, there is a step that's coming that's going to turn us on our heads. And when you mean they, do you mean these metaphysical entities or what are you speaking about, Joseph? Well, again, if we take these myths as we are calling them and say that there is truth underneath them, then I point you toward the Apocryphon of John who gives a list of people who made us sinew by sinew, bone by bone, shoulder and hip and blood vessel and nerve. And I do not believe they put us together like, uh, you know, like a doll. I believe this is the piece of DNA that everyone was working to encode. They were working like an assembly line and they made us strand by strand exactly the way that it said. Now, I have a question. I don't know if you're able to answer, and I don't even know if there is an answer for the question, but in this, so the Apocrypha of John, right? we have a list of the creators. So-and-so is in charge of this. So-and-so is in charge of that. When they're, And the watchers and all these things, are they watching? Do we know if it's, are they talking about Earth? Do we know this? I, I believe that what happened was pretty simple. We were on a, uh, we were being shepherded. I'll put it that way. So, you know, again, we're going to say to ourselves, this is real. And we're going to say that what is written down, it's mythos. And within the mythos is truth. If you, if you ascribe to that and, and you allow me that latitude, then I would say L um, and his gang who created us. The watchers were sent here to uh, keep us shepherded, to watch and record. We were on a trajectory toward Godhead. They didn't like it. They came down and screwed up the DNA process by intermingling with us teaching us things we shouldn't know, messing up our DNA, getting us off the path. They didn't want another Metatron. They did not want Jesus ascending. They did not want Godhead for the, for the humans. So they corrupted us. Then L said, all right, you will all be punished and we're going to start this thing again. And he wiped out everything and he began again. Now, <clears throat> to believe the Bible, there is one family that was not corrupted, and that was Noah's family. And so the whole process was um, uh, truncated. Uh, but it, it wasn't obliterated. It was just that there was one or two families that had uncorrupted DNA. And so God began 
the process or L begin the process from them to continue the evolution. The evolution hit a tipping point and that's what we call the axial age. The axial age began and we began to look internally and grow spiritually. There is still 90% of our DNA that has not been tapped. We know now because we can do it, that we can encode memory within that DNA, literal memory, literal libraries. These scientists said that uh, we would run out of uh, the ability to, uh, uh, to capture, you know, memory, uh, thumb drives and all that stuff by 2050. However, because DNA is so dense, you can take everything that has ever been recorded and it'll come to just a, a few hundred pounds. You can put it in the back of a pickup truck. That's how dense this is. It's molecular density. So that's in us right now. That's 90% of our stuff is, is untapped. Is it a library of teaching or is it a, a DNA library that will allow us to ascend? When we tap it, we'll know. The, the third axial, the second axial age, I believe, will be another leap toward that where we are able to access some of this. Is this what Noel was using? And it wasn't actually two animals of every kind. It was this DNA bank of sorts that he was able to do. Is that, is that what I do? I do believe so. Yeah. I think it was, I mean, there's no sense in, in you, um, uh, believing that there's two animals of each type that can fit in that arc, you know, it just wasn't big enough. Um, however, uh, if there were particular animals that carried within themselves the libraries that could basically reproduce the whole thing. Yeah. We're talking about an ancient technology that they were using back then, you know, because they were more advanced than we are led to believe. Well, uh, in the book of uh, Jubilees, it, it says that part of the problem that God had was that they taught us how to uh, 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 mix animals. <clears throat> now, if you believe in the myth, then this answers the question as to why the harpies and uh, the centaurs and minotaurs and all that stuff were, were, were running around. Um, but that's a Greco-Roman thing, and it's cross-pollination. Um, what really was probably going on was that uh, they were screwing around with the DNA on Earth in general. And, uh, and it was written down, and the book of uh, Jubilees actually uh, tells about this, and it says God was absolutely pissed. And it was the last straw. Not only had he corrupted our DNA, or they had corrupted our DNA, but they had corrupted the DNA of animals around us. And, you know, whether you want to believe that that was going to get into our food supply and do other things so on and so forth, you know, I'll, I'll leave that up to your imagination. But it says in Jubilees that that was the last straw, and that's why he wiped out everything. A complete DNA erasal. Are there, are there watchers still watching us, Joseph? I believe there are. Only 200 uh, of the captains fell. Uh, there were three falls in, in that's recorded. You know, There's the fall of, of, of Lucifer and the angels, the fall of mankind, and the fall of the watchers. After the watchers fell, in the book of Daniel, it refers to the watchers again. So are they still around? Yeah, I do believe they are. 
And let's get the the question that everybody always, you know, you have Eric Von Daniken that talks about this sort of thing. Are these extraterrestrials or are they aliens? Is that what, what genetically modified us? They're highly advanced. They exist outside the, the fabric of space I, and time. <laughs> I, I do not know. I do not know. But um, they had to come from someplace. If, if these myths are true, then they had to be at a higher realm. Is that a different dimension or is that just so far away? I, I do not know. And everything in my head could be wrong. Yeah, because you, yeah. you mentioned earlier finding... You're, we're using these crutches to open up portals and gateways to the other side. Yeah. When in reality, we sh we we are able to do it ourselves without any help. But this is what people talk about when they're using psychedelics. Like psychedelics are a crutch and they let you see to the other side. But look at Wim Hof. He's able to, his whole thing is get high in your own supply where through meditation, through breathing, you're able to tap into a DMT source in your body. I mean, yeah, you know. we, yeah. yeah, we lost one of my heroes a couple of years ago. Ram Dass died. Mm. And I was, I was, you know, that was, that was my generation. He led, he led my generation. Uh, we, we are truly, we're losing our mystics. They, they are passing away. And I don't know that they're being replaced with the same quality. We have to be real careful. We have to start digging deeper um, and, and, and be very careful of who you listen to. And know, know that, uh, you know, I do not know, Juan. I do not know. And I know that you don't know. And as long as we have that understanding, we will have this, this uh, wonderful conversation. And we will discover things. But the moment someone says, I know, for a matter of fact, it's like you say, they're full of bullshit. Run away. Um, you know, they, they're going to want something. They're going to want a, a donation or buy my book or whatever. By the way, buy my book. <laughs> yeah, buy the book. Find the book on Amazon. Look up Joseph Lumpkin on Amazon and find yeah. his, his work on there. And, yeah, this is very fascinating because, obviously – as we wind it down here, you know, these are questions that a lot of people are either afraid to ask or, or don't know how to ask. And ha having you here, you know, a professional in the field really helps because these are things that I think about all the time. And it's what really, I mean, like I said, there will always be subjects that will never not be interesting. And this is definitely one mm -hmm. of them. Religion, the Gnosticism, I mean, it's super, super interesting. I mean, it's fascinating. Yeah. If you really look at early church history, the Gnostics, yes. the Bogomans. Well, you know, they existed until the 1200s when the uh, Catholic Church wiped them out, the Cathars, which is where we get the kill them all and let God sort them out phrase because they were living side by side with Catholics. And the church, when they decided to kill the, the, Gnost or the, uh, the Gnostic Cathars, they couldn't tell the difference. And, and the general that was over the, the whole thing said, well, kill them all. God will know his own. So that's where we the get children the and the women them. and everything, too, right? Everything. They wiped out an entire what we would consider to be a county. 
they wiped out everything in that county trying to get rid of the last Cathar because they were Gnostics. Well, why did they do that? Because the Gnostics believed that it was a personal experience that brought about the knowledge that freed them. They were outside the control of the Catholic Church. They didn't believe the Pope was, was uh, you know, the, 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 the guy. They didn't believe that the church controlled the gates of, of heaven. And so they were, um, yeah, they, they were an enemy. Mm-hmm. And, and anything, that, uh, anything that challenges the control of the, the ruling uh, powers that be, uh, that's going to be the thing, you know. But speaking of which, uh, to put flesh and blood on this thing, when the watchers fell, and they had sex with the women. And the women gave birth to three um, hybrids. The Elio, which we can consider to be godlings, the giants, and the Nephilim. There was apparently still compassion within the Watchers because they stayed. They raised their kids. They, uh, they took care of them. And the book of Jasher says that they were our governors, they were our, um, basically our mayors and governors. They, they were our leaders. Uh, why wouldn't they be? They were, they were far superior from, to us. So they took for a while the place of, um, of, um, of being our judges and governors. So to say that the watchers were evil beings, um, mm. I don't buy it. Mm-hmm. Uh, were they disobedient? Absolutely. Absolutely. They went rebellious. against God. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they were rebellious. That's a perfect word. They were rebellious. And, and they were probably trying to stop an evolution that, um, that threatened them. Well, I mean, you see this around all the time. All the time. That's, that's exactly what the church did to the Cathars. So, um, you know, that, that I just leave you with that to say that it wasn't the watchers that we fight against as evil demons. Uh, according to the text, it was the uh, hybrids that came from them. Because the book says that when they died, these, these Nephilim, these fallen ones, when they died, when they were killed, uh, the body died, but the spirit came out enraged. And uh, it is they that plague mankind to this day, according uh, to these old scriptures. Whoa. That's the origins of evil right there for you guys. That's where energy cannot be created or, or destroyed. It can only be transformed. Uh, one, one last question for you, Joseph, before we wrap it up here. Is the AI the new watchers or the new... God, because, you know, I relate technology as the modern day towers of Babel. You know, you have CERN with the large hydrogen colliders trying to find the God particle, the God damned particles, the whole thing. And, you know, they're tapping, you have quantum computers tapping into parallel dimensions that they literally brag about tapping into parallel dimensions to drag out the information. And they just maybe might open up a portal for... Cthulhu mythos, great old ones type entities to come through and intermingle with us. 
Um, I'm, I'm going to mix a couple of things here. I'm, I'm going to tell you that uh, Dr. John Medeiros, the doctor of physics that I sat under, was a brilliant man. <clears throat> and he said that by the time, by 2050, and he, he said, I think probably 2030, but certainly by 2050, we will reach uh, sentience. Now, um, I believe personally uh, that quantum computing will give way to sentient AI um, if it already hasn't. And, you know, we, we've got, uh, there's, there's a, an Australian company right now that's developing chips. There are, are quantum computing chips that work at uh, room, ambient room temperature. Uh, when they can get that down and we don't have to super cool this stuff, uh, then then the qubits can be you know we we can we can have a computer with enough qubits that we can calculate anything almost instantaneously and I believe at that particular point we'll reach sentience. I don't know how up to date you are with this information, but from what I've been told, apparently there were some computers I believe at Google or Microsoft one of one of the people. Yeah, they fired that guy for saying it had reached sentience. Yeah, but one of the things that stood out to me was that the computers were communicating with each other in like an encoded encrypted language so that the programmers couldn't understand them. So they were talking back and forth with one another in a language, like if they knew there was somebody watching them and they they would encrypt their language and they would communicate with one another. <laughs> it sounds That's, a little quantum to me because when you watch it, it changes. Exactly. That's scary as hell. Yeah. So yeah. hopefully... Hopefully we don't, I don't live to see the day that that ends up happening. I mean, they've made movies about this, the Terminator, the Matrix, (laughs) all these movies. So Joseph, this was amazing. Really happy to get you on once again. We should do this more often. You're great. You know a lot of things and I don't ever get tired of talking about this information. Can you... Share with the listeners once more where they can find you, and I'll plug your information in the description as well. Sure. <clears throat> Pardon me. There's several. Uh, uh, we have we have several um, websites. Um, apocryphalbooks.org, uh, fifthestatepub.com. Those are the main ones. F i f t h, estate, p u b pub.com. Uh, so those, those, uh, sites are, are cross linked and you can get to one then jump to the other. We also have a lot of, uh, uh, free information on those sites you might be interested in. And you can always hit me up on Facebook. Thank you so much, Joseph. It's, it's getting late for me. I appreciate you taking time out of your day to come on here and talk with us and share your knowledge. And thank you so much again, Joseph. Oh, no problem. Thanks, Juan. And remember, anything in my head could be wrong. Take it and run with it. (laughs) Yeah, that's why I always tell people, do your own research. That's right. Thanks. Thank you, Joseph. Have a good night.